You're listening to a Radio Stockdale podcast. Podcasts that are inspiring, interactive, and feature various discussions of leadership, ethics, and law. Welcome to Philosophy at the Movies, a podcast where we discuss themes in the history of philosophy through the medium of films. I'm Alex Baker, and joining me as always... Sean Baker. And today's topic is the 2003 film, Tokyo Godfathers. So this film takes place in Tokyo. It starts on Christmas Eve, and I believe it goes past Christmas. I think it gets closer to New Year's, New Year's yes. as we're near the end of the film. And we follow three homeless people, um, Hana, Jin, and Miyuki. Yeah. Uh, Hana is this tra- is trans. He's a man, but he dresses up like a woman. And he, he, I don't believe he's gone through the reassignment surgery. No. But, and Jin is the, fa- you could see almost the father of this dysfunctional family. He was, ran a, somewhat of a successful bike shop, had a wife and a kid. But he had alcoholism problems and gambling debts, and that led him to being homeless. Yeah. And the child in this somewhat family is Miyuki. She is a teenager. She did not get along with her father, and in an event, she stabbed her father. Yeah. And she ran away after that, fearful of the consequences. Yes. So it's Christmas Eve. They're rummaging. They don't. They fight a lot. They're always fighting. <laughs> yes. they, they, they're at, constantly at each other's throats. They're bickering uh, as a real family would do, right? Yes. And I think that's one of the things I like about the film is it uh, it shows you, even though, the, though to say the least, this is an atypical family, right? It's just a kind of a uh, a, a, a random. Uh, trio that has been brought together by circumstance, right? Mm-hmm. But they've uh, been with each other for a while, and they've begun to form a, a family unit. He does a great job of showing this, as well as showing, uh, uh, giving a realistic portrayal of a family. I mean, uh, every family has this uh, bickering and uh, people getting on each other's nerves for various reasons. So he, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's great comic relief, actually. Yes. Yeah. And one day they're going through some garbage to give themselves some gifts for the holiday season, and then they stumble upon a baby that was hidden in one of the dumpsters. Yes. And from then on out, uh, both Jin and Miyuki feel that they should take the baby to the police so they think they should, so they can find the parents. But Hana feels that, well, if they abandon them in this dumpster, then they shouldn't go back. Or they feel that if the baby's given up going through the foster parent system, that's going to be tough for them. So they feel they should take care of them. Yeah. And there's... There, there, there's a set of decent reason reasons Hana gives to the, that you just sketched, but uh, we see at least early in the film uh, those are essentially rationalizations that Hana makes so that she can keep the child. Yes. Uh, she she's always wanted a child, and because she is really a he, unable to have a child, so she, she sees this as a golden opportunity to have a child. And the other two are just saying, not quit being, quit being so selfish. We need to take this kid to the authorities. But, you know, having said that, her point's well taken, that the chances are, uh, with any abandoned child like that, that they will 
bounce from foster home to foster home or live in a group a group setting of some sort and it's not an ideal setting yes and so they do some they have some back and forth about what to do and then they go through because the baby was found uh with some like luggage or yeah a bag a bag and there's a photo of like this couple next to this skyscraper but they also find that a lot of these business cards yeah and then from here on out this is when the film really gets into almost like a fantasy world full of like coincidences and these miracles yes they find this you know this business card for like this club so they're walking down and then they find this yakuza boss trapped under his car by coincidence because this woman was driving her bike bumped him while he's trying to he's underneath trying to fix it yeah. that caused the car to be trapped under him they rescue him and they ask him if by any he says i'm thankful i'll do anything to help you and they say by any chance do you know this club it just happens this yakuza boss owns this club <laughs> yes and they go through around they show the picture and they find out that this woman used to work there but she left after a while that was in the picture and they in the and while they're there, the Yakuza boss's son is getting married. Yes. And it turns out also that this Yakuza boss happens to be, happen to be like the, what is it, the loan shark or the bookie that worked with Jin. And Jin hates him because he got him into all this debt. Yeah. So Jin is frustrated. He's going to grab a wine bottle and take him out. But just as that's about to happen, the Yakuza boss's son gets whacked by this hitman. Yes. And then what gets crazy is the Miyuki, who's now taking care of the baby, she go, she stops to the bathroom but to change the baby's diaper. The, the hitman now takes Miyuki hostage, and they runs away with her. And then this hitman is Latino, so there's a language barrier because he's only speaking Spanish, and she can only speak Japanese. Yes. So he takes her with her, and... He takes with with his wife, I believe, yeah, or his that's his girlfriend. Wife. And the, yeah. despite the two language barriers, they have a bond, and they show right. pictures of each other. And but even though they still have the language barriers, so while that's going on, Jin and Miyuki are now separated. Um, Jin just wanders around. He stumbles upon this other homeless man who's dying. Yes. And the homeless man gives him some things and says, get rid of this because some, he says, I'm somewhat important or famous, but I don't want anybody to know me. Yeah. As he leaves that, he the Jin gets assaulted by these youths and they beat him up. And they drag the, the, the corpse of the old man out mm-hmm. and beat the corpse. It's a very powerful scene. And it, it ends up being very important, the little baggie that uh, the old man gives Jin. Uh, but I don't want to spoil the ending here. Yes, so... <laughs> So that happens. So Jin survives the assault, but he wanders out. And one of the funnier scenes I always liked in the movie, he sees almost this, you know, this angel or this fairy. And she's got this wings and there's this light. And she says, you can come with me or you can receive medical help. And he goes, I would rather receive medical help. And she goes, well, aren't you just rude? (laughs) And it turns out that that, but the woman still takes him. And it turns out that that, woman is at some sort of bar or some club and that club happens to be where hana used to work used to work yes. used to work at and that's where she and so they wind up meeting each other again and they because they find she finds miyuki and miyuki leaves with her and they still have the baby yeah so they all meet together again at this club where hana used to work and we learned some of hana's backstory she her boyfriend um, slipped and fell on a tub or something, and now she, ever since his death, she does now lives on the street. Yes. That's how she became homeless. Yeah. And then, 
so they're still wandering around. They eventually find the skyscraper yep. that, that was in that picture, and they head there, but the building's been torn down, and they realize that this couple was fighting. Um, the husband, just like Jin, had ran into some gambling debts. Yes. So, but they have, I forget they they get an address right, or so they've right. yeah, it's 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 the home, right? The yeah. home has been torn down of the couple, right? They still haven't quite made it to the tower yet. Yes, yeah, yeah. And then a bunch of oh, we forgot to mention because there's like all these coincidences yes. and things happening. So it's, this plot's really kind of crazy. It, yeah, it um, they have, Hannah gets sick, right? And she they have to they go have to, to the take ha- her to the hospital, take her to the hospital. Yeah, and. Jin was saving up some money, so in case he meets his daughter, he gives can give her something. Right. But they have to use that to pay for the medical bills. Right. When he pays the medical bills, he finds his daughter. Yeah. Um, is a nurse. He has a nurse, and her name was Kyoko, just the name they gave the baby, and he was against that because it reminds him of his daughter. Yes. So they have something of a reconciliation, and... So, but eventually they get the they are able to find out where they're going, and while um, Jin is searching for the father, he runs into him. He tells him what's going on, but um, Hana and Miyuki see this woman about to jump off a bridge. Yes, and then eventually they realize that this is the woman that was in the picture, and right. this, they feel that this is her child. So they feel they give him the give her the child. They think it's all good, but when Jin talks to the guy, they realize that these two kidnapped this baby from the hospital because they wanted a child and the woman um they she was she had a child but it was stillborn so right they get that so they have actually i I have to say unless i'm wrong you probably watched this more than i have but i thought just the woman kidnapped the child because she thought that yeah i think the woman kidnapped and the husband just sort of okay let's just go along with it or, or he finds out later but she had done it because she thought it would straighten him out. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and it doesn't. Yeah. Right. So they give it to her, but then they go back trying to catch her to realize, and then it leads into this crazy chase through this high-rise apartment and building, and it goes to the very top of the rooftop. Yep. And the woman's now going to not only jump off the building, but take the baby with her. Yes. And Miyuki goes up first, and then Hana goes, and everybody's trying to stop her. She's about to jump. Her husband sees her from another part, uh, from his apartment. It's just across the street, and he tells her to not do it. Yeah. And she, but she jumps, but they grab her, and then eventually Hana is able to grab the baby and save it. But he's hanging on by like this one of those a banner, ban- some banner sort of things. a banner, yeah. And the banner breaks, and he's fo- and Hana's falling with the baby, and you think, oh no, they're falling to their death. But this miraculous gust of wind, yes, this sort of lifts him up in the air and gently. Places, places them, them down. down. Yes. And the very end, they're, they get the baby. They're in the hospital recuperating, but they've rescued the baby. The original family's been contacted. Yes. And we also reveal, because there was a thing of the winning lottery ticket, this big lottery ticket. Yeah. And we find out one of the things um, Jin has in his pocket is that lottery ticket, was, and it's worth millions. And that was given to him by the dying man. Yes. Yes. So the cops are... T- you know, they've settled the matter with the authorities and the family of the baby wants to meet the homeless people because they want to get, have yeah. them be the godfathers to their uh, child. Yeah. And the police says, sure, I'll just go in there and meet them. It turns out the police chief 
is the father of Miyuki, the one she stabbed and ran away from. So yes. now they're back together. <laughs> and that's the way the movie ends. Yes. So it's a and, very, like I said, it's a, it's, it's, it's like a fairy tale because yeah. there is just all these coincidences and wacky things. Like yes. they, it's a part Yakuza assassination movie and they run into this, you know, Latino hitman. Yeah. And then, you know, it, go, it goes into all these crazy things, but it's, this is a Christmas movie that I don't think people quite talk about enough as yeah. a Christmas movie. Yeah, and and you know it it, it has that penumbra of uh, uh, concepts that it engages that are also engaged by the Christmas uh, season. Uh, chief among them being miracles and meaningful coincidences. And uh, I I think a, a primary uh, objective of the uh, director of the film was to get across to us. Um, the fact that uh, in everyone's lives, if you think about it, if you kind of sit down and think about it, there are just a, a string of what end up being very meaningful and, as it were, functional coincidences that get you to your end state. And you certainly would not have been able to predict them in any, in any way, shape, or form earlier in your life, but they end up being formative and uh, very often beneficial. And it's certainly uh, part of the meaning of the film here. Um, uh, I I, I love, as I was watching it, you're going to think this is excessively philosophical, but uh, as I was watching it, I thought it was a a good illustration of a a distinction that's sometimes made in information theory um, between uh, what's called for lack of a better term, and I cannot remember the man's full name, but Shannon information as opposed to specified or functional information. Shannon information is just basically a a measurement of probability, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, for instance, if you take a uh, a a bicycle lock that has 10 numbers on it, right? When you set it on any specific setting for that lock... Uh, uh, you've reduced the amount of uh, possible end states for that dial uh, down to one from a previous 10. So you have a one out of 10, one-tenth, right? Uh, That's the measure of so-called Shannon information. If you put three dials together, it's 10 times 10 times 10, right? Uh, Possible combinations, and any one combination reduces a great many uh, or eliminates a great many of those um, possible end states, right? So if you think about if you think about your life, um, there is always a, a great deal of uh, Shannon information each moment of your life after each choice you make. Uh, uh, a lot of a lot of states that are eliminated, and whatever state you end up within is highly improbable. Every time you make a choice, uh, your life history is a string of incredibly improbable events. And, uh, you know, beforehand, there would have been no way to predict that you exist and then you live where you live and you have the job you have and all that. It's completely, uh, amazingly improbable, right? So it's part of the, it's part of the uh, wonder he wants you to have watching this film is this a string of incredible coincidences ending up with a happy ending, right? Uh, what, do you, what do we have? This um, Erzat's family unit ends up 
each one of them ends up being reunited with their biological family members, right? And I think he's making this point too. Uh, and, and I think it's a, a kind of a, a theistic point, and he, he gives you clues in the film that he, he, there's a theism behind this meditation on incredible, incredibly meaningful coincidences. Um, at some point, uh, if the string of coincidences uh, that are string of highly improbable events. Uh, not only have that feature of improbability about them, but they also have a feature of being meaningful or functional in some way. At some point, if you have one after the other, these sorts of coincidences happening, it becomes more reasonable for you to think it's not just coincidence, but it has somehow or another been arranged (laughs) to get you to that end state. So, for instance, to use that bicycle lock example again. So you have um, uh, the three dials, right? And um, uh, every every, uh, uh, combination of numbers that are a, a high number of the combination of numbers that you have when you set the dial end up, I don't know, making you win the lottery, right? Over and over and over again, you know something's up because the sheer improbability of uh, uh, winning, uh, having a, a winning combination each time you play the game tells you that you're not going to get a winning combination each time you win the game because it's the, the, the odds are astronomical against it. So I think that's part of what he's saying here. He's saying, look, um, these three characters, uh, they have a long string, and he did a good job of summarizing it. They have a very long string of highly improbable events that end up being fortuitous in that they get them to that next step where they have yet another coincidence that is fortuitous to get them to the next step, and so on, and so on, and so on. There's too many of those things going on. It's not just Shannon information, so to speak. It's specified information. Specified information, another analogy, is uh, 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 a combination of a highly improbable uh, event with the fact that it serves some function or has some meaning. A simple example, Um, if you take the letters of the alphabet, and you think about what, how many possible combinations of uh, 10 letters you can have of uh, the alphabet. There's an immense list of them. Most of them are going to be nonsense combinations. Very few of them will be actual words in the English language, right? Um, so the events in, in, in these, the, the life of these three are a bit like if uh, they they should notice this and they start to notice it toward the end they're a bit like uh being in the position of you know you have a hat and you uh draw letters out of 10 letters out of it at random and you you uh, write them down and you have a lot of time to do this um in normal circumstances you'd be spending a lot of time writing down 10 letter combinations that as I said before, don't make any sense. And every once in a while, and probably be separated by months 
each, uh, each there may be a, a, a string you draw out that actually spells a word. Well, these guys are in the position where they keep drawing out those words. And they begin to uh, think, you know, maybe something more is going on here than just meaningful coincidences. And I think that's a part of the reason the, the, the angel appears there. And it's also a part of, the, uh, part of the reason. This is set at Christmas time, right? And the baby is, as it were, guiding this. And, and there's an obvious connection there with, with Christianity. Um, really neat. Really, really neat. Uh, anyway, that's kind of the, down, the yeah, uh, train you, of thought like I you went said, with. It does feel like they were destined to find that baby and to have all these coincidences happen to them. And even there is a reward for them at the end. There was a reu- reunion, reconciliation, but yeah. also financial reward with that winning lottery ticket. Yes. And you feel the very end when that breeze that that breeze lifts hana and the baby up and gently places them down on the ground it feels that was a spiritual force whether it was god or another force because it's not because we see you know it's christmas and we see you know they're going to a nativity scene but they also um pray at a buddhist temple so it's different religion so which you know which god is it but you've it's certainly the that, divine. Yeah, it's that, the, that was divine intervention you have yeah. to feel at that very end. And I, I, this is reminding me of one, of one of the things I read about the film, and I didn't catch it, so maybe I just didn't catch it because I've only watched it all the way through once. But I, I guess there were certain parts of the film where uh, the director, um, what's his name? Satoshi Khan. Satoshi Khan, uh purposefully made parts of Tokyo, you know, parts of the setting, look like faces, as if uh, it was watching the action and maybe perhaps even guiding the action. Uh, Did you catch that? I I didn't see it. twice, and this is the first time I've seen it in like three or four years. Yeah. But I'll have to watch that one again. So that that would certainly be in line with, you know... uh, in terms of the history of Japanese culture, its early animism, and more of a polytheistic way of looking at things, but that's kind of what's neat about this: is it, 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 it's, it remains neutral as to the exact, as it were, sectarian nature of the divine guidance, um, but it's there, yeah. and it's, it's, it's almost like saying, "I'm putting this in, in your face. You, you have to notice this. You, you can't possibly be blind to it." And he's saying that not only in terms of the story of this film, but in terms of our lives. And, and we, we are blind to it because we simply are so damn used to it. it, it it's, a, it it's something we, the, remarkable, the remarkable nature of which we uh, don't notice because we're so accustomed to it. Yeah, and even though we talk about, you say it's not necessarily whether it's Christian or Buddhism, even though there's the main, there's three main characters with this child and everybody's going to go to the three wise men, obviously. Yeah. And what other thing that reminds me of another film, I think was Cone was influenced by was the John Ford Western three Godfathers. The similarity is that there is these three outlaws. One of them's John Wayne. They just pull off a robbery. Then they go on the run in the desert they run into this wreckage of uh, settlers, and there's this woman dying, but she just gave birth, but she can't go any farther, and they agree to help their child. Eventually, um, 
the two other outlaws die, but John Wayne, even though at the um, cost of being captured by the authorities, he goes back to the town where he robbed the bank and he brings the child back and saves it. And he's somewhat given a happy ending. He gets a lenient sentence and everybody loves him, even though he committed this crime. So he's pretty much forgiven. Yeah. And uh, the common theme there between between those two films, although our three are in no way criminals, right, is redemption. Yes. And he, he's redeemed. Even the two guys that die are ultimately morally redeemed for having helped uh, rescue and uh, preserve the life of this child. And something like that is going on with Hana, Jin, and Miyuki as well. Uh, each one of them is, you know, pretty damn flawed character. Uh, uh, some some of the flaw being from their own choices and others just being from bad circumstance. Uh, and they're hurt and they're, they've got a lot of, uh, as it were, moral injury. And their uh, mission, this mission they undertake, and you, you, you notice it, particularly in the case of Hana, uh, she grows from being more or less, uh, like I said, selfish in yeah. rationalizing wanting to keep the child to, to realizing, no, it's best for the child that I uh, kind of help uh, Jin and Miyuki in their mission to find the, the proper parents for this child. And in so doing, they make up for and in some way heal uh, not only moral injury, but emotional injury in their own cases. And they end up, I think, interestingly, uh, being reunited with e- each one is reunited with their actual family, and it, and it does lead to an interesting follow-on question. You kind of wonder where it will go from there. Will they maintain their ties together and, and maybe create a, a larger kind of an extended family here? Will they maintain maintain uh, ties with the the two biological parents of uh, uh, Kyoko as they want? Um, it's very interesting. And, and you know, I, I think the optimist in, in the in, optimists in the audience would like to say, yeah, they're going to do this. Um, if there's going to be any culture where something like that might happen, it might be the Japanese culture because it, it does have a history of uh, reliance on extended family. And you kind of hope this will happen with this group of people. And you have that hopeful outlook for the Japanese culture, but I feel that even in this film, it's not entirely positive. There's some damning evidence, at least with their treatment of homeless people. Like we see the youths beat up not only Jin, but the homeless man who was already dead by the time they started beating him up. And there's no justice. There's no retribution. They're allowed to walk free. And even when they're doing that, these kids... They're doing with almost an indifference. They're talking on the phone with other friends about meeting up, and they said, "All right, we're going to go meet up. Let's just leave these guys alone." Yes, yes. There's no justice, and even the fact that you know when you see Tokyo, you see pictures of it today, you see all this amazing technology and all these vastly advanced buildings. Yeah, yeah you still have this large homeless community. Yeah, and it's it's been a very rapid change, and it's, it's all the more remarkable because of the. Uh, intensely crowded nature of Japan. They just don't have a lot of room for a lot for their people. And uh, uh, again, that might be part of the message that uh, Satoshi Kone, that might be part of the message Satoshi Kone is attempting to send to his domestic audience Um, because family's front and center here. And I would, I would say extending that a bit, he's, 
perhaps wanting to say extended family is front and center. And we as a culture need to look out for each other so that you don't have kids running around terrorizing the defenseless. Yeah. One other thing I did want to bring up is we talked about we when characters you don't really see too much in the movie are the actual biological parents of the baby. And even in the end, what I found interesting is we never really see their faces. We see their face, but it's obscured. We don't like get a full frontal, just good look at their face. And what I find that interesting even because they seem like a normal family and what they want these, the Hana, Jin, and Miyuki to be godfathers to their child. And even when the police said, well, maybe just let you know they're homeless as you might have reservations about that. And they don't care about no, that at all. At all. Yeah. But it's just interesting that they don't play a big part in this movie. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what exactly the symbolism would be be there uh, other than to say again maybe you know uh, a message is being uh, sent here by Cohn that uh, in the case often in the case of uh, people that are homeless or people that are in foster care programs and so forth um, they're not going to be that lucky to, to be reunited with their biological parents. And it might very well be that the biological parents don't want them in the first place. So then the, the duty or obligation to make sure that they are uh, raised and nurtured becomes, uh, uh, it's taken on by the larger community. And the, the lesson here is to say, if, if people that have no means for doing so such as Hana, Jin, and Miyuki, are able to go to the lengths they do for the welfare of this kid, well, then you know what? God darn it. Us people that are more lucky in our circumstances and do have the material wherewithal to do stuff, we should do it too. I'm thinking maybe he's he's yeah. sending something like that message. Right. Getting close to the end of my questions here. Anything else you want to bring up before we start signing off? Um, you mentioned it before, but the director of this film is Satoshi Kon. It is a shame because uh, seven years later, he passed away at the age of 47. And he directed four movies. This is one of them. But Millennium Actress, Perfect Blue, which many people feel was... Uh, ripped off by Aronofsky when he did Black Swan, and then Paprika, which people almost use the same accusations against Nolan when he did Inception. Yeah. And he did a miniseries I have not seen called Paranoia Agent, which is actually comparing to the, about youth violence. There's a hmm. some a mysterious youth criminal going around assaulting people. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but it's supposed to be good. That's the only thing of his. I, it's just a shame that he died so young. A small sample size, but everything he's done has very, been very yeah. good. It's very impressive. And I, I, I remember thinking all the way two things all the way through viewing this film is one, I think it shows a, a depth and maturity in Japanese animated films that American animated films typically just don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and a related uh, impact I had is I, I would have loved to see uh, I, I see him do a live action version of it. I don't know if he ever even thought of that, but it would be very interesting to see a live action version of this. I'm worn um, out on live action reboots of uh, <laughs> animated films. Let it be animated. Not everything needs to be live action. Okay. I'm perfectly fine with it being animated. <laughs> okay. 
And you know, yeah, you, you might you might fall into the CGI trap yeah. too with with the last. Anybody scene. who's seen the reboot of Cowboy Bebop, I, I they know how bad live action reboots I can see. be. Okay, but uh, yeah, it, it was powerful. It was powerful. I also thought as I was watching the film, this is one of the better films we've done, and we've mm-hmm. done this will be film number fifty nine, I think. Um, this one, this one's going to stick. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen it, it's the perfect time because it's the holiday season. It's a great Christmas movie. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Philosophy at the Movies. You can find this podcast and more podcasts produced by the Stockdale Center by visiting the Radio Stockdale page at usne.edu. This program is hosted by Radio Stockdale. You can also listen to their podcasts such as Ethics and the Naval Warrior and The Do-Over. If you like this podcast, you might be interested in my other podcast, Real Sounds, rich episode dedicated to classic movie soundtracks. That can be found online at soundofcinema.podomatic.com. So until next time, I'm Alex Baker. And I'm Sean Baker. Saying so long, be sure to catch us next time on Philosophy at the Movies. Philosophy at the Movies.